Welcome to Through the Word, a podcast series connected to our current Sunday sermons. Join us as we explore the book of Romans. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Through the Word in the book of Romans. We're so glad that you joined us. And for us, I'm not sure when you're watching, but for us, this is like the second day of the new year, second day of January. And maybe it is for you too. So happy new year. Happy new year. Happy and, new year. Uh, yeah, welcome back to this, this podcast. We're so glad that Pastor Luke is here. You just preached about this a couple days ago, yeah. Romans chapter 10. And so if you got your Bible, grab it with us and let's take a look and dig in through the word. So Romans 10, what a great chapter. Yeah. Thank you again for uh, expanding that to us a couple days ago in Thank church, you. helping us to understand a little more, not just theologically, but practically. And uh, that's what we want to do here this morning as well. So we're going to talk about a couple questions that are a little deeper today, a little more theological. And then we're going to end the podcast off in a more practical way, mm-hmm. how we can actually put this into practice yeah. in our lives. So here's the first question. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at verse 1 right away in the beginning of, of uh, Romans 10. He says, uh, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So the question that came to my mind is, why does Paul only reference the Israelites' salvation? Does this not apply to us as Gentiles too? Hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Well, 100% it applies to anybody and, and everybody because the, the gift of life in Jesus Christ is for everyone. What's I think really compelling here and what I've appreciated about how Paul teaches through Romans is that he's, he's really balanced. He shows in Romans 1 that the gospel is something that people who are living in totally reckless, wild, irreverent, immoral lives, they desperately need the gospel. And often in religious circles, we tend to be like, yeah, those people over there, like they need Jesus. But then in Romans 2, he's really explicit in saying, but actually people who are hyper-religious, but depending on their own moral virtue to have right standing before God, they need the gospel as well. And so he's kind of circling back to that same theme from Romans 2 here in chapter 10, because what he's recognizing is the gospel and churches are, are bearing fruit all around what would be the Mediterranean region in, in cities like Philippi, like Ephesus, obviously right here in Rome. And it's those are places that haven't had a strong Jewish population or Jewish religious history. Mm. And so a lot of Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. They're responding to the gospel. And Paul is realizing, like, hey, it's crazy that the Jews who have had the Old Testament law, who have had prophecies about the Messiah, that they're totally missing Jesus. And the reason they're missing Jesus is their own Mm self-righteousness. And so he's chiming in here to basically say, hey, my heartbeat really is that these people who God has specifically called into his own, through whom he's brought the Messiah into the world, that they would encounter Jesus Christ for who he is and what he can do in their lives. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, I think it's important to remember some of what we would understand is going on in that Roman context that he's writing into, where uh, there would have been a, a great first uh, movement among the Jewish people in Rome to the gospel as we understand it. But uh, historically, the Jews were kicked out of Rome. Yeah. The church continued to grow. When the Jews have returned to Rome, now by the time the book of Romans is being written, they see that the church is the majority Gentile at mm-hmm. this point. And so the, the backdrop is there's tension between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. And, and that's, it, it comes up again and again in the book that Paul, in the letter, Paul is addressing that tension with the gospel. So now this is in verses, uh, or sorry, chapters 9 to 11. He really focuses in on that. Some people would say this whole section, 9 to 11, is the gospel in relation 
to national Israel mm. and the place of Israel and the place of the Gentiles. And uh, so, and of course, chapter 9 begins, Paul saying, hey, listen, I want you to know, chapter 9, verse 1, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, mm. the people of Israel. Mm. He goes on to then express many of the, the great blessings of being part of that people. So he's just circling back to that idea here again, saying once again, my heart's desire is for them, mm -hmm. that the Israelites, my own people, my own flesh and blood would be saved, but not to the exclusion mm -hmm. of, the, of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Instead, uh, in, in understanding the context of who he's talking to and what he's talking about. And even Jesus was had a similar phrase, uh, uh, frame of mind, didn't he, when he wept over Jerusalem, yeah. Yeah. wishing that they would come and, and gather believe them in like him. Chicks. And, yeah. and so it's almost like Paul has that same kind of perspective yeah. that the language is just so tender, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Heart's desire and prayer. You mm -hmm. think of Paul as a strong, strong leader. He plants a million churches. That's an exaggeration. But... But he does, right? He's probably the premier church planter in history that we think of, mm. and yet he's so tender here yeah. Yeah. toward the gospel being effective for his own people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and yet we look at verse 12, verse 13 in the same chapter, Romans 10, mm -hmm. verse 13. We all love this verse. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Jew or Gentile. Verse 12 talks about there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. Yeah. Amen. So I asked that first question a little bit tongue-in-cheek, knowing the answer, yeah. mm -hmm. but I appreciate how we've been able to explain that a little bit. So here's another question. Uh, if we look at verse 4 for a moment, verse 4 says, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So what does that phrase mean, culmination of the law? And here's a follow-up question. Aren't the Ten Commandments still applicable today? How is Christ the culmination of the law? What does that mean? Yeah, to answer the second part of your question, yes, the Ten Commandments are still applicable today. And, and so uh, he's the culmination of the law in that the law is pointing towards him. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus says all, all of the, the scriptures are, are testifying about him. The law is pointing towards him. He fulfills the law in every way. Uh, and so we can look at Christ and say Christ is the culmination of it. Some translations may even say he's the end of the law, but not mm -hmm. the end of it as in, so the, the law means nothing now. Mm -hmm. God has revealed to us through his law, right and wrong and his holiness and, and morality. And so through the law, we understand what's right and good and proper, uh, but we also understand we can't fully live up to it. That's mm -hmm. the, what Romans has been teaching us. We, it wasn't the law could ever save us. And so Christ now fulfills it. He culminates it in showing us. He fulfills it for us mm -hmm. and, and how it was all pointing to him. Anything to add there, Luke? I just, yeah, I chime in and agree with what Josh said. And just to add, you know, there's, there's civil and ceremonial laws that are given mm -hmm. to, to the Jews in the Old Testament so that their lifestyle sets them apart from the mm -hmm. world. But, but sometimes you read through these and it can seem a little bizarre. It's like not eating lobster or like having mm -hmm. spe specifications about how you trim your facial hair if you're a man. And it can seem a little bit a little bit bizarre. Now that in that place and time was meant to be a way in which God's people were set apart. Uh, but now in Christ, uh, not only do we more seriously take moral commands like the Ten Commandments in our everyday lives, but on the flip side, we don't look firstly to our appearance or our facial hair or the food we eat so much to say as a distinctive marking, uh, but we recognize that what is meant to set us apart in the world is the life-changing presence of the Spirit of God in us. Mm. Uh, that that is what denotes 
who God's people are uh, from, yeah, Jews, Gentiles, every background. And so that's one thing I would just highlight there and saying like that's a differentiator that is uh, really beautiful and actually really exciting as we're invited to live in the presence and mm-hmm. power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's so beautiful that Christ in his coming, in his work, death, resurrection, he set us free yeah. from the constraints mm-hmm. of the law yeah. that really couldn't save. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. he is our salvation. Yeah. And so the people of God used to look to the law, in a sense, wrongly, to save them. Mm-hmm. Um, but Christ is our very salvation, so mm. he is the one we look to. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Hey, here's a, a beautiful verse that I love reciting and memorizing. I've spent, uh, spoken it to many people. Verses 9 and 10. Take a look there. there. There's a short little synopsis of how to become a believer in Christ. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a prayer that anyone can pray of salvation. That's what it is. And then verse 10 says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's an interesting way that Paul's put that terminology in there. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he's putting them in separate terms, salvation and justification. So how do we understand that properly? I would say salvation is justification. Mm. Uh, that when we, when, and, and Paul, I think, is speaking of the heart here because he's saying this isn't just an intellectual reality. Mm. Uh, this isn't even just an action oriented reality. This is something where if Christ has captivated you, it transforms your heart, mm. it transforms your ambitions, it, it transforms your sense of identity, it transforms your future. Yeah. And so he's wanting us to realize that. Uh, the understanding of an engagement with salvation is to realize, wow, I'm, I'm made right uh, before a holy God. But I mean, we've talked about this here in the past, just as you know, if you planted an apple tree, you know, the life of the tree is in the roots, not in the fruit. Uh, but the fruit is proof that the tree's alive. Mm. And so this reality that we declare with our mouths that God raised him from the dead, which by the way, a lot of people think that's nuts like that God can make the dead come alive, but that is something that our hope like rests on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's something that we'll have the courage to proclaim if God has transformed our hearts. So yeah, salvation in many ways and justification are, are beautifully interwoven. And yet the fruit of that life-giving reality, those roots, if you will, is the fruit of our lives saying that Jesus is Lord and, and this is what the resurrected Jesus has done to change me. Hmm. It's great. And in some ways, that is a picture of baptism, isn't it? Yeah. We already believed. Mm-hmm. Here we are standing in front of our church family. Exactly. Declaring with our mouth what we've, yeah. what God's already done yeah, in us. Good. Yeah. But, uh, but it's not the same. Baptism is not salvation. I, wanna say, I don't want to say that. But, um, but it is that de- declaration, isn't mm-hmm. it, um, of what God has done. Anything yeah. to add there, Josh? Yeah. I, not really. It's been well said. I, I might just say you could think of it as like these are not separate thoughts they're parallel mm-hmm. it's two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. uh, justification salvation is the same thing yeah. and the two sides of the same coin is yeah we're believing people we believe in our heart this is how we find this and we're confessing people mm-hmm. we're proclaiming it with mm-hmm. our mouths and uh, so you don't dissect them and say if you do this half this half will happen and I think Paul was probably intentional there to use two different words, justification and salvation, mm-hmm. that refer to the very same thing mm-hmm. to show us mm-hmm. that uh, it's not two different things that happen with two different actions, mm-hmm. but that instead uh, th- these are parallel ideas pointing us towards the same reality. Yeah, Salvation is a myster- mystery, mm-hmm. and yet it is so beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we dive in with the Lord. Hey, uh, let's move on to a couple of questions that that are a little more practical, a little mm-hmm. bit more how we live this out day to day, because this chapter does that as well. Mm-hmm. 
it starts out talking more about the background, the theological underpinning of our faith, and then it talks about missions. Mm -hmm. And so every missions conference pretty well will reference verses 14 and 15. Mm. Um, how then, verse 14, can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can someone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Very missional statement. Logical flow of mm -hmm. the communication that happens from one to another as we uh, work with the Lord in missions. So here's a question, practical outworking of this chapter. Why is it so important that we go? So, do you want to lead off? You go ahead. I'll, yeah. I'll jump jumping in on that one. What's great about God's Word is so often, especially in the New Testament, specific commands that have to do with our spiritual lives have, have very real parallels in our physical everyday lives. And an example that's that's helped me in this is if you think of modern medical technology. You think of people in places that are far away from access to that kind of technology who, for example, uh, have cataracts. And, and we mm. know unless a medical professional or professionals go there with the resources, with the knowledge of how to treat cataracts, people will go blind. And so there's this imperative to say, if we want people to still have their sight, we, we've got to be sending these medical professionals. And, and that same parallel could, could be true for a host of things. If we want people to be able to learn and thrive academically, but they don't have access to teachers or learning resources, we've got to send educators to them. The same could be true for fitness, spending money, all kinds of things. That reality is especially true on a spiritual level here, saying if we want people to have a lasting hope and everlasting life in Jesus Christ, We've got to go to them with that truth, mm -hmm. with that reality. They're not going to have it any other way. Just like somebody who doesn't have access to the modern medical technology to deal with cataracts is going to be able to just overcome their cataracts. Like they're going to need someone to go to them who has what they need in order to be restored. And that's what this call to missions is. That's why it's so imperative. That's why the manual we take so seriously supporting missionaries and sending missional teams is because we realize that it's a beautiful responsibility and a really sacred and, and in a way burdensome responsibility that we go to the world and say, we want you to encounter the truth that Jesus Christ has forgiven you, that he's given you new life in his name, and that you can enjoy life with him in his presence for eternity. Mm. Jesus, of course, himself said, go and make disciples. Yeah. Um, the, the phrase is not, Expect them to come to you. <laughs> That's right. Go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And his presence is with us from the Great Commission. Great mm -hmm. Commission. Um, yeah, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think we could think of two things here. One, we go because this is the only way that mm. people can be saved. Mm. Uh, Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no, no one else. else, for there yeah. is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Uh, or Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. They need to go and hear the name of Jesus. Uh, or They need us to go that they might hear the name of Jesus, which is exactly what Romans 10 is pointing at. Mm. How can they call on the name of the one they haven't even heard of? Yeah. We've got to go tell them about Jesus. Um, likewise, we go... Because Jesus came. Mm -hmm. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. you. Right. And in the very incarnation of Christ, we see his coming to us on mission. Now, as his people, we engage in that same mission. Uh, we go that others might experience our coming to them mm -hmm. with the name of Jesus and the gospel of salvation. Yeah. 
And uh, so it's fitting for people who belong to Christ yeah. to understand that we are the sent. Mm-hmm. We're always sent on mission. Yeah, absolutely. And that right there uh, leads us to the last question because in our culture, it is, that's actually a difficult thing to be the one who goes up to someone else who doesn't know about Christ and mm-hmm. says, let me tell you who I believe in. Mm-hmm. Because in our culture, for sure, in North American culture, there's this idea that, first of all, every belief is fine. Mm-hmm. And no one has the right to tell me what I should believe. Mm-hmm. And yet the gospel says there's only one way. Mm-hmm. There's only one name. There's only one person that leads to salvation. So we have this, this, this difficult challenge of mm-hmm. talking to people and saying, actually, I have the only answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's like oppositional to many people. And so yeah. here's the question. How can I live like someone sent out on mission mm. without people feeling like I'm shoving the gospel down their throat? It's got to be a way to do it well. And Luke, we lean into you here because you are our pastor of missions and evangelism. And I know, Josh, you've had that role as well before. Mm. And I've done um, a, a bunch of that as well in my own life. So these are very important questions mm. that everybody in our church and every church asks. How can I do this well Yeah, and not offensively? Without being a jerk. Yeah. It's, it's In fairness, it's, I'm, I, I love the position I'm in, but I'm still figuring it out in a yeah. lot of ways myself. And mm. something I would say is that I think it looks different in different parts of the world, not the message, hmm. uh, but how we demonstrate that. And specifically in the West, in North America, I would just, I would draw our attention to the concept of hard power and soft power. Uh, what I mean by that is sometimes the church has leaned into hard power, i.e. enacting laws or certain uh, regulations that endorse Christian values, um, which there's a legitimate place for, I'm not opposing that, but at the expense of then interacting with people who have significant needs in those spaces. Uh, soft power is people who who is, is living in a way that people want to endorse what you believe in because you've demonstrated your love for them. So practical example of this, part of the reason I'm just so thankful for our church family is that one of the things we did in Christmas Love was give a ton of resources to Envisage, which is a pregnancy resource center serving uh, couples who are unexpectedly pregnant, especially single moms in our community. And historically, the church has been known for advocating for laws that tend to be pro-life. And I think that's a really good thing. But I think it's so valuable that the church continues coming around that by also saying, but how are we going to care for single moms? Mm -hmm. How are we going to welcome people into our families who have these unexpected pregnancies? How are we going to find places like Envisage and resource them as best as we can? Uh, Because that's... That's soft power. And so the reason I say all that is that in Canada right now, people are expecting us to come at them with hard power, to try and and make some sort of moral statement that asserts why they need to submit to something. But people aren't always expecting for us to do, oftentimes what Jesus did, recognize felt needs, physical needs, health needs, relational needs, and demonstrate that, that we care about their whole person. And part of caring about their whole person is inviting them to know and hear the gospel. And so I would just say, if you don't want to be a jerk and reaching out to people, one, practice redemptive presence. Be a trustworthy, hardworking, reliable coworker. Uh, be a compassionate and considerate neighbor. Uh, mm-hmm. Be a family member who honors other family members and is, is a source of support for them. Because as you demonstrate to people your genuine value for their lives, their careers, their families, that builds credibility and trust with them to be able to say, the reason I live this way is because of who Jesus is and what he's done in and through and for me. Hmm. That's great, Luke. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Jesus says, let your light shine before all people. 
that they may see your good deeds and praise yeah. your Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's been sometimes falsely accredited to St. Francis Assisi's, uh, the quote, uh, preach the gospel at all times, use words only when necessary. necessary. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I might say, uh, like, the, there's, there's some strength to that quote. Uh, but add to it the reality that uh, words are always necessary. Yeah. Uh, there is no such thing as a gospel without words mm-hmm. uh, because the very word is to do with the good news message. Mm-hmm. And so it needs to come in action and deed. Mm-hmm. And so we need to do all, exactly what you're describing and, and go and love and care for people and, and let our light shine. That, that's fitting for people who've been transformed by the grace and mercy and love of God to let that overflow from our lives. And, um, and then, well, I think you're wise, Luke, to say that we need to understand the context we're in and the individual we're talking to. We need yeah. to pray for God's wisdom and, and how to do it. Um, one thing that's just practically worked well for me oftentimes throughout the years is um, I just talk about God, about Christ, about the gospel, about the realities of these things in my life as though they are as real as they are. Hmm. Uh, so I, I don't try to shove it down anybody's throat. I don't try to present it in a way that's obnoxious, but nor do I act as though like uh, go way out of my way to tippy toe through it. You know, you know what I think about this, and and I would believe that such and such a thing. Not to say there isn't a place for that. Again, understand the context and the person you're talking to, and pray for the Spirit's wisdom. But but I just talk about it. Plainly, mm-hmm. like Jesus is alive. He is real. The Holy Spirit is actually in me, mm-hmm. giving life to my once dead mm-hmm. soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just talk about it yeah. and uh, just share it with my neighbor. Just share it with someone at the gym or, or a stranger and uh, because this is real. Yeah. And I want them to know that I, I really believe this, the core of my being, that this is real mm-hmm. and that they would just see that 